Welcome everyone to Fit Body Happy Joints. Today I have my partner in crime, Peyton, Dr. Peyton Busker with me, and um, we are going to talk about high intensity exercise. Um, welcome, Peyton. Excited. Thank that you. We, Peyton and I have a weekly meeting and in that <laughs> meeting, we are always just like, we go on these talks about these topics and we're like, we need to do a podcast about this. And we just, we're always on we the same page. To- we just need to start recording our meetings and just putting them into podcast version or something. We really do. And just like making little <laughs> clips and just, yeah. yes, that that's a good idea. So today um, we just want to kind of talk about this. Um, Peyton is really good at explaining some of these things. So I wanted to bring her on to kind of offer um, her different way of explaining, of, of explaining um, high intensity and that high intensity doesn't necessarily have to be the traditional way that we've thought about it with sprints and biking and all of those things. It totally can be, but if you're someone who's like, well, what if like, I, I can't stay consistent or, um, or my body hurts, or it's not something that I want to do. What then can I still see results from my workouts? And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what high intensity kind of looks like the benefits of high intensity mistakes that people make with high intensity We're going to talk about a new way to think about intensity, and then we'll give our recommendations for kind of how to, how to weave it into your routine, whether or not you want to do the traditional high intensity, like sprinting and biking and squat jumps and things like that. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Um, Let's talk about what high intensity has traditionally looked like. So what is high intensity and where, how will you see it done in the fitness world? So high intensity has traditionally been thought of as these short bursts of like near your max heart rate, like 80% of max heart rate. You've typically heard of it and things like you've mentioned like sprints, whether that's on a track, on a treadmill, on a bike, um, or something like HIIT training that has become super popular, you know, in the last and the last 10 years, which is literally high intensity interval training. So it's taking all of those concepts and just making it into one little easy acronym. Um, but what it has ended up looking like is that these short bursts are then being like put into a class that is anywhere between, you know, 45 minutes and an hour. So you're having these short bursts and you're getting, you know, let's say 20 seconds on 20 seconds off. It's kind of a common uh, sprint interval, you're getting the the little breaks, but you're then getting your heart rate up and down that much over a pretty sustained period of time, um, which is where some of the, some of the trouble could come into play, which might be jumping ahead. But yes, traditional high intensity has been the short little burst, getting about to 80% of your max heart rate, um, and then having some sort of little rest period in between your bursts. Yes. Yes. And we'll talk about like a common mistake that we see in like fitness classes and stuff when it comes to, uh, high intensity interval training, but the benefits are that you really are doing your max effort for a very, very brief amount of time because your max effort, usually what happens when you, when your body has to produce a lot of force is that we, we tap into our larger muscle fibers, our type two muscle fibers, And those muscle fibers can't contract for very long. They're meant for emergencies. They're meant to uh, contract when, 
you have to move really fast or you have to move a lot of load. So they're not endurance fibers like your type one muscle fibers. And so they really can't contract for a very long period of time. So the idea is that you can, you utilize them and tap into them for a very, very brief amount of time, like 20, 30, 45 seconds, and just all out max intensity as hard as you can. And then you give yourself a break, let those, let yourself kind of reset. And then you do it again. And there's, there's benefits to this type of exercise. And do we want to kind of, and there, it's heavily, heavily researched. So do we want to kind of talk about those benefits? Yeah, definitely. So from a, from the standpoint of the muscle fibers that you mentioned, those type two muscle fibers are your bigger muscle, muscle fibers. And when you increase those type two muscle fibers, you grow those muscles, literally bigger and which can help to improve your metabolic health. You had a you know PhD on last week um, who talked all about this concept and all about the idea of how important muscle fibers are and muscle mass is to your metabolic health. So when we have a greater muscle mass, we have an improved ability to take on, I believe, glucose into the cell. Um, so making you helping with your, your insulin sensitivity and all of the things that make us healthier from a metabolic standpoint. So that's one of the major benefits. And then another is obviously the, the cardiovascular benefit. So that's why when people think of cardio, this is often the type of, of activity they're thinking of. Um, and you, you get these adaptations of the cardiovascular system and, and, elevating that heart rate and having it come back down is massively beneficial to pumping in, pumping out and getting blood out to those big muscles. Uh, And it's, it is very beneficial, especially in those short bursts of time. Yes. It's essentially, it's a lot of stress in to your system physically in a very, very short period of time. And then you give yourself rest and Mm -hmm you know, you alluded to this earlier, but I think one of the mistakes that people often make, there's lots of mistakes, I think with HIT, because I think there's lots of misconceptions and we're in an industry where we believe that if something's good for you, then a lot of it must be even better for you. And Mm -hmm. that's the, that's, I think where people get mixed up and, you know, just doing way too much HIT is one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make. And because when you stress your body this much and you're getting to your maximum effort, you require more recovery and you need days in between where your, um, where your system can recover from that stress. Otherwise you're just kind of like accumulating inflammation. You're living in that fight or flight state. Um, and it's really not beneficial for you. Right. Right. I, I think, yeah, it's kind of twofold. So I think the length of the classes themselves is one of the issues. So elevating and decreasing your heart rate that with that big of a, of a differential for that sustained period of time. So say you're taking a 45 or a 60 minute hit class or a spin class that mainly focuses on intervals and doesn't have a lot of the endurance riding in there. Your research is coming out to show that you don't really get much benefit after 20 minutes of, of hit training. So after you get to that threshold, you're just wearing yourself into the ground and getting these, these very, very heightened levels of cortisol that you'll have a much harder time coming back down from, like you mentioned, a much harder time recovering from. And so then 
traditionally what people will do is they do something like that every day or at least every weekday. Yeah. So they're layering that individual, the the individual length of the class as an issue in and of itself. But then they're layering, you know, five in a row on top of that. And their nervous system just does not have a chance to catch up. So, and their, their hormones don't have a chance to catch up. And, and those chronically heightened levels of cortisol are just going to lead to increased inflammation all throughout your body, going to lead to staying, like you said, in your fight or flight system where, where muscle recovery as well as just emotional recovery is just not going to be, not going to be as possible. Yeah. And then I think, go ahead. Well, I was going to say insulin, insulin too. Like when cortisol is up insulin, um, it increases your insulin resistance, which if body composition goals are, uh, if, if that's a goal of yours to improve your body composition, makes it really hard to improve your body composition when you're more insulin resistant. So it's, it's not necessarily just a more is better tactic. Right. Right. And then from a, from a physical joint structure perspective, whenever you're having this high impact or high intensity, and we can put it into two categories. So let's say high impact with high intensity first. So something like jump squats um, and burpees and things like that in a, so like more of a traditional hit class in a 45, 60 minute class, you're having a lot of load and a lot of force going through your joints for that period of time. And maybe in ways that is not supportive to the joint function or the joint structure itself. And then let's say someone says, okay, well, I don't, I'm not doing all the jump squats and the burpees and things. I'm just doing it on my bike. I'm doing sprints on my bike for 45 minutes. Well, then you're having that sustained and, and very repetitious hip flexion, knee flexion, kind of pounding into it. And most of the time you're probably adding a little bit of resistance to that again is going to eventually over time, it could take 20, 30 years, but could eventually lead to just maybe unnecessary and avoidable joint wear and tear. And then you add that, that heightened cortisol on top of it. And it's just a recipe for inflammation. Yes. And, and waking up one day and feeling like you're 50 years older than you actually are. And right. And then you're like, wait a second, I'm doing all of this hard work and it doesn't seem to be paying off and I don't feel good. It's like, that is so, mm-hmm. we see that all the time. And I think one of the reasons why people tend to gravitate towards that is because they're looking at their fitness watch and they're like, well, I just burned a thousand calories. That must mm-hmm. mean that I'm on my way to seeing the results that I want to see when in reality, it might not be, it might not actually be paying off for you in that way. If you're if your metabolic health is suffering, if your joint health is suffering, if your mental health is suffering and you're feeling like you're like mentally burned out and dragging yourself to your workouts. I mean, I think one of the most crucial things that we try to do in all of our classes is create a safe space for you to come exercise. And we always encourage you, like, listen, if you're having one of those days where you're just, it just took you everything to get on your mat, mm-hmm. do what you can today. And you don't need to beat yourself up. It's okay. You might not be at hundred percent. And I think that one of the most common things we get is most common testimonials, I guess we get is that people are able to stay consistent and they actually look forward to their workouts. And I think it is because we create this safe space around it rather than just like pushing through regardless of, of how you're feeling that day. Yeah, that's 
that's a really good point. And I, I feel like it makes me think of two programs that are promoting like 30 days to XYZ or 45 days to da da da. And yeah, you're, you physically might be able to sustain some, a, a, a high intensity program where you're doing these types of exercises five, six, seven days a week for that amount of time. Or maybe you can't, but if you can, like, that's not something that is necessarily going to be sustainable after that 30 to 45 days is over. And I feel like that's one way too, where we differ is that we never really push out a, this is your 30 days to do X, Y, Z. This is your, it's like, no, we have our entire lives to work out. Why will we not build ourselves from kind of the ground up or build, give ourselves this awesome foundation? Like, why are we all in this rush to get you know, some arbitrary result potentially in 45 days that you probably won't even get in 45 days. You won't get, and you definitely won't be not, I don't want to say definitely. I'm sure there's people that can exercise like that for their whole life, but we've just found, I know Peyton and I are like, I don't want to be doing that every day for the rest of my life. And it doesn't like, for me, I would, I could never sustain it. Like I remember teaching and I used to do lots of high intensity and Mm -hmm. I just, I was getting hurt like every other month and having to take time off and then falling back and losing progress and having to ease back in. And that cycle was happening to me like every few months. Um, and finally I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think we kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think like our whole point of this is that if you want to integrate hit like short, really brief and like sharp sessions instead of like prolonging it into 45, 60 minute sessions and only doing it like, you know, one, two, maybe three times a week on non-consecutive days. Would you, would you agree with that? I would definitely agree. I think three is like max, max, max. I, I personally don't do more than two of these, you know, short 15 minutes and, and the way we, and kind of the way we integrate it with Evelyn is I'll, I'll do the, you know, the 15 minute cardio burst on Wednesdays. That's our, our higher intensity cardio burst. And then I don't get to do the Evelyn class that you teach on Fridays where you've got kind of the higher intensity in there. So sometimes I'll add, you know, do that same cardio burst again on, on a Friday, but most of the time I'm just doing it the one time a week. And yeah. when I'm doing it, I'm going all out. I, yeah. I am going all out in my motions. I'm complete, completely breathless. It takes me the full, however long the recovery time is to recover. I get back into it. And then when I'm done, I'm done. Yes. And, and that's not to say that I don't do more, you know, quote unquote cardio. So once, you know, with this, I also, and we encourage members to, to get kind of that 150 minute mark of of more of the low intensity, like something like walking. That's what I personally like to do for, for my lower intensity work and something that doesn't even have to be necessarily muted as, as exercise, but more of just like le- a leisurely activity that gets your heart rate slightly elevated, that if you push a little harder, it might be difficult to maintain a conversation, but nothing nothing like this cardio uh, high impact that we're, or high intensity that we're talking about. Totally. And even like, I, I try to walk, I try to walk 10, 10 ish minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes a day. 
But like, mm-hmm. I'll count, like if I'm going shopping or running errands and like yes. walking, around, I count that. Like, that it's like, yes, it totally counts. So I think people get overwhelmed. They're like, you're telling me I have to lift weights and do hit and right. do um, all this low intensity cardio. And it's like, no, it's just integrating it into your life. Also too, one of the thing, one of the mistakes that I think people get themselves into is they're lifting weights and their resistance training for their legs. And then they're doing hit maybe on the next day, or they're doing it three times a week and they're lifting, they're doing leg exercises two or three times a week. Most hit is going to tap into that type two muscle fibers of your legs. And so you might not be able to recover from your hit sessions and your resistance training sessions for your legs. So it's like, if something has to give, I'd say take out a hit session, do less hit and focus more on the resistance training and hypertrophy for the legs. Do you agree with that? I completely agree. I hadn't, I honestly hadn't thought of it that way before you saying that right now, but I completely agree with that. I think that could absolutely contribute to, to kind of the, the overdoing it and just a, a, even a chronic soreness in the legs. If, if you're someone who feels like your legs are always like perpetually sore and you're doing both resistance training and hit training, take a look at that. And I, I definitely wow. agree with taking the hit out before, before tweaking your, or before taking out the resistance training. Yep. Or if you're not seeing muscle growth, if you're seeing mm-hmm. a plateau in your strength, it's probably because you're overdoing it because the, the mechanism for actually building muscle is, um, the anabolic pathways that happen during recovery and rest. And if you're stressing your system over and over and over and not allowing your body, that anabolic process to come back in and damage or uh, repair damaged tissue, then your muscles may not grow. So um, I think that's something uh, to, to take into consideration when you're thinking about your schedule. Oh, for sure. Um, So let's talk about this. I think, you know, I I'm in one of, I'm one of those people that I don't really love a lot of high intensity. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't really crave it. Um, Definitely traditional high intensity never really felt great on my body. If there's someone like that, or if it's someone that's like, I don't want to jump around, I don't really want to do hit. Can we still get the benefits of intensity without doing traditional high intensity? I would, I would say absolutely. Yes. I, I think there's a difference and, it's funny when we, when we look at what traditionally look, what high intensity traditionally looks like, it's almost hard for us mentally to get away from that image. But if we look at what's happening on a physiological level, we can see that there's other types of exercise that could stimulate these same results or this, this same change at that, at that muscular level or at that, you know, even further, further down. Um, so with, with something like strength training with focus on eccentric training. So eccentric contraction being when the muscle contracts and it is both contracting and lengthening at the same time, we get a lot of load through that particular muscle. So just like where you're getting you know, a lot of load or you're stimulating those type two fast muscle fibers when you're actually jumping, 
when you're doing something at a really, really slow pace, especially that phase where you're lengthening or where the muscle is getting longer, you're going to get that same type of intensity through the muscle. And with like with eccentrics, you're able to tolerate more load eccentrically than you could concentrically. So thinking of something like a bicep curl, you can tolerate more on the lowering phase where you're bringing that weight down than you could if you tried to lift that same weight up on your own. So that's a way to get more load through the muscle weightlifting and not doing something like a high intensity interval training. You could, you could just really shift your focus to going slow and controlled with your activities, especially on the lowering phase of a lift. And then, and kind of in a similar, in a similar vein is thinking about your increasing your internal resistance. So we focus on this a lot in our classes, but there's, there's very real research to support the idea that our thoughts about how our muscles are contracting majorly impacts our muscle fiber stimulation. So something like imagining that you're lifting a 50 pound weight for that bicep curl instead of a 15 or 20 pound is going to make a difference on how many motor units you can recruit within that muscle and therefore increasing the intensity of that activity. And similarly, and I know this is something that you've been doing a lot in your classes, imagining that you're going to, let's say you're in a chest press, that you're going to throw those weights above your chest or in a step up, that you're going to actually jump off the chair, but you don't actually do that. Please don't throw your weights while you're doing a chest <laughs> press. That would be very dangerous. Um, but that, that imagery can actually stimulate those same fast twitch, those same type two muscle fibers. As if you were, you know, doing a, a jumping push up or whatever. I, I am also not eye intensity person, clearly. <laughs> so, you know, people that like to do, you know, those little push ups where you're leaving the ground, you will never catch me doing that. But <laughs> you can, you can stimulate Same. similar fibers with just imagining that you're doing that or imagining that you're throwing those weights above you. Yes. And what's great about that is that not only can you get the intensity, I mean, when you're nearing the end of your chest press set and you're really thinking about, am I contracting with 100% effort? Am I creating internal resistance? Am I like going as squeezing as hard as I can? It will feel really intense <laughs> and you'll vary. And you'll notice that at the, um, at the, towards the end of your set, your heart rate will start to pound. Your heart will start to pound and your heart rate mm-hmm. will pick up. And that can be considered a form of high intensity interval training, because you're getting to that high intensity for a very brief amount of time, you know, towards the end of your set, you're only like two or three reps and you're getting really close to failure. That is super intense. And you can get the benefits of high intensity training without necessarily thinking about the traditional jump squats or biking or whatever. And what's cool about that is that, um, when we're doing our, the more specific lifts, and targeting one muscle group at a time is that's more likely to lead to um, hypertrophy or muscle growth than something like a big compound movement. Of course, compound movements like squats, deadlifts, things like that, those still can improve muscle size. Um, Mm -hmm. But research generally shows that when exercises are more tailored towards one muscle group at a time, that hypertrophy is more, more likely to occur in that specific muscle group. Um, and we found that, you know, 
it's usually feels better on your joints. Again, I'm not someone that ever felt good with heavy squats and heavy deadlifts. It never, I tried it. I did it for years and I see more muscle growth now than I did then. And it's a couple of things. I think I can stay more consistent. I also think my joints feel better and, you know, we're doing more specific lifts for each individual muscle group rather than a squat, which is in a squat, you're working lots of muscle groups at once and it feels intense. It feels hard. Um, but you might not be getting the same amount of, uh, hypertrophy than if you did something a little bit more targeted. Yeah, I think that's a good point and kind of brings up two different thoughts for me is that one being kind of playing into the the nervous system and how it plays such a big role in, in our exercising and in our fitness is that whenever we can do these more specific lifts, our nervous system doesn't have as much to focus on. Our, our nervous system is not a good multitasker. So when we eliminate, you know, a, a, a significant number of joints that it's having to worry about by doing something that is more specifically targeted to, you know, one or a few muscle groups as opposed to a lot of our muscle groups, we're going to get more inputs or more outputs to that specific muscle. And I think that that plays a big role in kind of the ability to maybe a little more quickly gain muscle mass of a specific area too. So then the other thought I had is something feeling you know, traditionally hard, like you mentioned with the squat or something more compound, uh, especially if you're using like a heavier weight, it feels like really hard just all over. And you might not, you might be doing it. You might think, wow, my legs in general feel really worn out or my whole system just feels like super worn out in general. Whereas with something, let's say like a step up, it's by the end of my sets of step ups, my, my glutes, very specifically, my glutes, feel like they're about to fall off. So there's like such a difference in like, it feels so, so hard for my glutes and, and my heart rate gets up too. That ha- tends to happen when you're working those lower body muscles, which are bigger, having to get that blood down to those big muscles, but it might not get quite as high as with something like a heavy squat, but I feel like I'm getting more benefit to the specific glute muscles that I'm targeting and that I'm feeling that fatigue there, as opposed to just like generally feeling worn out. Yes. Yes. And I think Doug Brignoli, I had him on the podcast, um, Mm -hmm. episode number 60, we talk about compound lifts versus more, uh, single joint lifts. Uh, and he does a really beautiful job of explaining that. So in case listeners want to go back and listen to that, and we're never saying like with any of the stuff we talk about, we're never saying don't do squats, don't do heavy deadlifts, don't lift heavy. It's just one of those things that, um, we're just trying to educate that it isn't the only way. And that if if it feels better on your body to do more targeted lifts, then we're here for it. And it can, you can still see results and feel really good in your body. Um, and see a lot of the, a lot of these same benefits as like traditional powerlifting or traditional hit, um, but maybe potentially feel better in your joints if that's something that you struggle with. So I think, man, we kind of talked, we kind of hit a lot there. Let's talk about, we talked about how to, how we recommend like incorporating HIT if it's something that your joints are tolerating. And if it's something that you want to do, I, I will say, you know, as physical therapists, let's just, let's just imagine we had someone as we were, let's say we were practicing physical therapists and we had Mm -hmm. someone come in and they had chronic knee pain that they've had for years. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you and I probably wouldn't recommend them adding hit into their routine right now. Would you agree with that? I would completely agree. I, in the, in the four years that I treated that I commonly saw people, I uh, would commonly see people come in like they're, you know, big into hit, especially in, I, I find in the age range between like 40 and 60, I feel like I see, I saw that a lot, especially with females. Um, and they, knee pain was a, was a big one, was very, very common. And they'd come in and tell me their routine. And, and a lot of the times it would be from something like a hit routine. And so certainly if someone was coming in and they've never done hit before, that is the last thing that I would recommend that they, they, they go in and do. I, I would want to get much more specific with specific muscle activations and, and, you know, obviously going into all the things of, of analyzing from a PT perspective, uh, but from a fitness routine standpoint, that would be the first thing that I would eliminate for someone too. I would say, I would, I would say like, obviously I can't tell you what to do, but this would be my recommendation would be to take this out of your routine and just see how your body responds, see how your nervous system responds. Like it's, they're just taking, and I would have to bargain with them, like just take two weeks off and that would be tough for them. Is I, I feel like it's it's just so ingrained in our in our culture. Um, so yeah, definitely the last thing that I would recommend adding, and the first thing that I would recommend taking out if someone is is having issues. Yeah, yeah. So if you're having joint chronic joint pain, adding hit might not be appropriate right now. But what's really cool about our bodies is that our bodies are really good healers if we give yeah. them the space to do so. Yeah. And so if we give our bodies the proper recovery time. And we're giving, we're allowing our, our body space to go through those anabolic processes, like healing inflammation, healing damaged tissues, uh, improving tendon strength, things like that. You'll find that a lot of times taking a step back actually allows you to take multiple more steps forward. So it doesn't mean that you take it out forever. If you're someone that's having, having joint pain, maybe you take it out periodically for a short amount of time. And then maybe you try sprinkling it back in, uh, you know, one to two times a week for very short periods, like 10, 15, 20 minutes max of that hit alongside your strength training. So that's for someone with joint pain. And then what about someone that's feeling good in their joints and they're not currently doing hit and they want to add hit? What do we recommend? I would say it's still focusing on that one to two times because it can feel when you're feeling really good and this would, I would see this with patients too, but from both a patient perspective and just like a general person, client perspective, people start feeling good. And that's a lot of the times initially what they want to hop right back into. So they're like, Oh, I'm going to get right back into my, my full routine, my, you know, five times a week, whatever it is. And so I would urge someone like, even though you're feeling really good, still taper it in, still just sprinkle it in. Start with one for a few weeks, see how that feels. And then if that's feeling really good and you want to add another round or another day, then add in just one more day. Um, but I, would, I wouldn't add like, let's say all three of that max range of what we would recommend. I wouldn't add all three days in like, oh, I'm feeling good. I've never really incorporated it and I want to start adding it in. Start with one and see how that feels on your body. Take, you know, look back on, your, your podcast about recovery tools and how to measure or how to measure your recovery. See if you're, if that is impacting your recovery at all overall in your program. And if adding one in is 
feeling good and doesn't impact that recovery and you want to add more, add one more. Then do that same process of kind of measuring that recovery and, and seeing how, how you're feeling in your body before you add on. I think that's oftentimes with anything, we try and go like all or nothing instead of like making maybe small tweaks or adding small bits of something like high intensity work. Um, and then really truly analyzing how it feels within your body. Yep. Yep. Less is more. I think when it comes to high intensity, it really is because you're not going to be able to get to that high intensity threshold if you're depleted. So what's, right. you know, what's the point? It's like, if you're hammering your body into the ground, your max threshold really drops and plummets. So yeah. we want to give ourselves time for our threshold to rise back up and then we can meet it meet that threshold when we're actually doing our high intensity, give yourself time to recover and then go again. So let's talk about then, you know, we, uh, we both went to physical therapy school and in physical therapy school, my program was like very research heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things, you know, that really good researchers do is they follow the scientific method. And it's so funny because I, I don't know if I do this consciously, but I do this in other areas of my life, following the scientific method to like test something to see if it's working, not just with exercise. I, I tend yeah. to do this with like work too, and like content and just all of the things. So, so let's, let's walk them through this process. So let's say, and, and there's a, a, you know, five-step process to, changing, switching up your routine. If, if it's something that you want to add, or if it's something that you want to tinker with, and this goes for adding hit, this goes for your nutrition, this goes for anything that you want to change with your wellness or fitness. Um, so let's kind of walk them through this. It's basically just a, a scientific method, just adapted a little bit. Um, so, so let's say you want to add hit. Step one would be to just set your schedule kind of based on some of our recommendations. Um, we recommend, you know, one to two, two hit classes a week. We, I would say, uh, probably not having that hit session right after a leg day, like a heavy leg day. You probably want at least one day in between. Wouldn't you recommend that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of how we do it with legs on Monday and then not having the higher intensity work until Wednesday. Yes. Yes. In our schedule. Set your schedule and then that's just step one and just decide, commit on a schedule and you're going to do this schedule for an entire month. So that's step one is just committing to a schedule, you know, based on your hypothesis of what you think might work well for you, for your lifestyle, for your body, all of the things. And then step two is to kind of set a measurable outcome. So you're going to do this schedule for an entire month. And set um, parameters for yourself and measure it. So whether your uh, measurable outcome is like body composition, or it could even be mobility. You know, if if you're feeling tighter after that month, then that's a signal from your body that you're doing too much. So, uh, what would be some other outcomes that they could set besides like body composition? We don't necessarily recommend scale. I, yeah, I definitely wouldn't recommend scale. I'd say how you are feeling in your joints would be a really good um, outcome measure. And that's obviously it's very subjective, but it's me. I would write down, you know, at the beginning of this month, if there's any joint discomfort or anything you're noticing or any like your neck's really tight all the time, write that down. And then at the end of the month, check back in. Okay, am I having this same type of tightness? 
am I having less joint pain, more joint pain? See where you are in, in your program. I think that's yeah. a, a really good one. That's a really and energy good level. Energy. energy level another one. Yeah. Like I, I like to pick like midday. So like midday around two or three, how are you feeling? Cause that's yeah. the time where a lot of people will crash if they're, if they're doing too much, they'll crash around two or three. Yep. Um, so that's a really good one back to body composition. I know I'm, I mentioned body composition. We do not recommend the scale because if you're doing this process where you're resistance training and you're adding a little bit of hit, you probably are going to gain some muscle tissue, which could increase the scale. So we really don't recommend scale because a lot of times it'll get in your head and it'll, it can mess up your goals. So, um, when you're thinking about body composition, just go with like how your clothes fit or like how your muscles look like visually seeing your muscles is like such a good, um, and again, it's subjective, but it's such a good tool, I think, rather than focusing on scale. I do too. Yeah. And then, um, so we talked about body composition, energy, joint, joint, uh, comfort, mobility, sleep. If you are, are you staying, are you falling asleep easily? Are you staying asleep? Um, if you're not able to fall asleep or you're waking up a lot at night, that was something that I really struggled with when I was over exercising is I could not sleep through the night. Like I would wake up and uh, I would have night terrors. Actually, it was terrible, but, um, so awful. But that's, I mean, like a cardinal sign that you're overdoing it is that you're, you're not sleeping very well. So that's step two. So step one is to set a schedule, commit for a month. Step two is to kind of create one measurable outcome for yourself. And it doesn't need to be all of these outcomes. We just recommend one. And then step three, uh, is to commit. So commit and don't waffle. I think a lot of times what we'll do is we'll do a schedule for like two weeks and then we'll be like, Oh, I don't know if this is working. I don't know if this is like what I should be doing. Commit for the full month because you won't have clear data about if something is working or not, if you're doing all different things throughout that month. So I really think that doing the same thing for one month. I mean, granted, if your joints are hurting or if you're really feeling awful, like definitely, of course, adjust, but I really recommend like sticking to it if you can, so that you have some clean data at the end of that month. Mm -hmm. And then step four is to, so you get to the end of your month and during that month, you will be measuring your recovery. So go back to episode number 38, where I give you two really good tools to um, measure if you're recovering or not. If you're not recovering, you know, you'll see some of these things decline, like sleep, mood, uh, joint mobility, you'll feel tighter. You won't feel like you're gaining strength. You'll feel weaker, things like that. But there's some uh, really objective ways you can measure your recovery. There's something called the CO2 tolerance test. And I walk you through how to do that in episode number 38. So that's like one of the, I think, most valuable exercise tools you can use is to track your recovery because your workouts Mm -hmm. are only as effective as your ability to recover from them. Um, So that's step four, you know, during that month, throughout that month, and at the end of the month, you're measuring your recoveries, making sure that you're recovering properly. And then the final step would just be to be like, okay, let's assess what happened. I'm at the end of my month. How, how's my outcome? Am I sleeping better? Am I less tight? Am I, do my clothes fit differently? What's happening? 
Um, am I recovering properly? All of those things. Yes or no. If, if, you're, if you feel like you're on the right track and you're recovering properly, amazing. You've found the schedule that works. If, if not, then it's like, okay, well, let's just tweak one little thing at a time. Maybe it's you change something with your nutrition, which is obviously we didn't even get into nutrition and how important that is. Um, but obviously, you know, exercise is not your primary weight loss tool, not your primary fat loss tool. It's, it's, if that's, you know, I think a lot of people come to exercise for that reason, um, how you're eating is much, much more important. So, but when it comes to exercise, maybe you just change one thing. Maybe you started with two hit sessions and you're finding that you're not recovering. So take out a hit session, repeat the process, go back to step one for an entire month, repeat that process. And this seems like a long process that people just don't want to do. But the beauty is that once you find what works, you can just rinse and repeat and rock and roll. And you'll find that, you know, over a year span, like you can completely change your relationship to fitness, how your body feels, how your body functions, how much muscle you have. So it's definitely, in our opinion, worth running through this process. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth it. And it might feel silly to like tweak something small, but unless we do things like a little bit at a time or tweak a little bit at a a time, we won't really know where the change, whether negative or positive is coming from. So to me, it's, it's only beneficial in the long run to make these small changes to then be able to say like, okay, this didn't work. So let me see how I can tweak it a little bit more. If we're throwing everything in at once, there is no way for us to know. And that's both in the real world. And then in the, from the research standpoint, like they would never allow you to have like 18 different variables that have changed in order to do an experiment. It's, you have to, you have to like set the standard and then have one thing that's, that's different between, between, you know, A and B groups, A and B. So I think it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I think treating your body as like a little science experiment, not only is it like going to give you more reliable results and like give you the ability to like have some direction, but it's kind of fun. It's like, Oh, it like makes you get curious rather than like judgmental or feeling like guilty or like feeling like, Oh, this is such a drag. It's like, Ooh, what can I try this month? Like it kind of makes, gives you that curiosity and that, that tinkering attitude rather than like, it has to be perfect this month. And if it's not the end of the world. (laughs) Right. I feel like it cultivates such Uh, like a much more positive relationship with our bodies as opposed to, like you said, having uh, this goal of perfection that doesn't exist. And I think too, even just thinking back to, to the outcomes and like what you want to pick as your outcome, even if your goal is a body composition change, I would recommend having both that goal plus one that is not tied to appearance. Mm -hmm. So whether Mm -hmm. you're choosing one like sleep, or energy, or mood regulation, or whatever it may be, having one of each. That way, these results aren't purely based on a physical change. Mm-hmm. Um, because something might, you might tweak something, and it might have a really positive change for how your joints are feeling, how your mood is feeling, how, you know, X, Y, and Z, but you haven't seen a specific body composition change yet that you're wanting to see that might deter you if body composition is all that you're focused on, as opposed to having those other goals that aren't tied to your physical being that could then help you to continue on. Like, okay, wait, this is actually working really well for me. 
I'm going to continue. And then you might get to see those body composition changes that you wanted all along. And sustain them. Yeah. Because, oh, that's such a good point. We probably need to do a separate podcast about this. But I think that people are like, they. one of the things that we see is going into a new routine and wanting to change everything at once. Like wanting to feel like if it's someone that's coming to exercise with like, you know, they've got chronic pain or they're, they're suffering from overuse or whatever it is. And they're wanting to like make drastic changes in their body composition. A lot of times those two goals will conflict Mm -hmm. and not, not always. We do find that that joint friendly workouts do tend to be more effective over the long run because they work with your anatomy instead of against your anatomy. But, you know, I think, I think if your goal is long-term fitness and being healthy long-term and improving your body composition for the long-term and you're coming to exercise and you have a lot of joint pain or you have a lot of joint discomfort, just making that your primary goal because you can set the foundation. And when you have the foundation and you feel better, then you can be consistent. And then that's where the, the sustainable changes come from. So I think, yeah, we should probably do a separate podcast about that, but I'm glad you brought that up. So let's quickly review that. And then we will be done. This is, God, we, we touched on so much. If y'all need to listen to this twice, feel free. So step, <laughs> step one is to set your schedule um, based on some of the advice that we gave you. Step two is to pick one to two measurable outcomes. Step three is to commit and not waffle throughout that month. One month, just commit. Step four is to measure your recovery. You can measure your recovery throughout that month and then definitely at the end of the month. And then step five is to assess and decide if you want to change something. If you do want to change something, then we repeat the process back from step one. Did we cover everything, Peyton? I think so. I think think we got it all. Okay, yay. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peyton, thank you so much for coming. Of course. It's always so nice to be here and and to chat about all the things that we love to talk about offline. Yes, that's right. All right, everyone. Well, we will see you all next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.